The Wiggly Podcast. The Archers, but real. Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast from the Wiggly Sofa in the Wiggly World of Blakemere in Herefordshire. I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers and today I've got a duo of Rackwells. I've got Rach. Hello. <laughs> and I've got Rachel. Hello. <laughs> and Farmer Phil, he's coming along. He'll burst in shortly. He's just got a tube up a cow. So we can ask him all about whatever that is in a bit. He's got a tube up a cow. Not down a cow, up a cow. Well, we'll find out. I hope he washes his hands before he comes in. Mm, Quite so. Anyway, this week, uh, we want to talk about this amazing book. We've mentioned it before, but I love it. And I've been drying my herbs, and here they are, on the table, ready to talk about. Rachel is going to ask even more questions about sunflowers. She seems to get obsessed with things. A few weeks ago, it was hedgehogs, now it's sunflowers. We've got a bit of feedback which I love because it's on a different iTunes. So it's on an overseas iTunes store. And Rach is going to tell us all about our adventures in a very, very posh hotel in Berlin. But first, we'll have a Montycast. Montycast, a weekly fact on wiggliness. Wiggly Wigglers has just bought a flower van to deliver wiggly bouquets locally. Another Montycast... A weekly fact on wiggliness. Next week. Thank you, Monty. Here's our review, which is on the Austrian store. If any folks are out there and are overseas, we would love you to put up a review on your local iTunes store, but you'll have to tell us so we know. And here we are. So here's the first one. Dear Heather, thank you for all the hours of good entertainment and important information you and your team gave me with your podcast. First, I was a podcast listener. Now I am a customer. That's good, Rach. That is good, isn't it? Can't wait. Oh, here comes Farmer Phil. We'll find out where he's put the tube shortly. We want to know, have you washed your hands? Yes. Good. (laughs) Getting back to the point. Can't wait for my worms arriving. It's almost like Christmas. Okay, it's a present I pay myself for, but anyway. I'm really sorry that you plan to do video only in a few weeks because I love to listen to your podcast while I do my own gardening. I had a chap who said the same thing, and how is he going to manage when he drives the car? Anyway, I guess it's going to be hard to watch both the iPod screen and the weeds in my garden, but I'll try. Some shows ago, you asked listeners for feedback on iTunes. I am the one and only in the Austrian store. But I hope you like it. Of course, it's a five-star review. Or as we Wiggly Wigglers listeners call it, it's a milker deluxe. I enclose the screenshot of the review just in case you don't have access. Keep up the good work. Suzanne from www.podcasterin.at And she's a podcaster of a German-spoken podcast about environment and how to live green called Grüne Leben. You're fluent German coming out there, Hev. (laughs) Ah, wo ist der Kirche? Der Kirche ist gerade raus. Would you like to read this podcast review, Phil? I can do that. It says, 
Von Suzanne, that must mean from Suzanne. I have much fun listening to this podcast, talking about wormeries, organic gardening and environmental issues. The Wiggly Wigglers team knows how to combine respectable, informa- respectable information, Ricardo, with funny conversations. Although I like the way Richard and Farmer Phil often discuss topics from complete different points of view, you're not wrong there, my absolute star of the show is Heather. Yay! How can that be right? (laughs) Did you write this yourself? How do I know you haven't written these yourself? (laughs) Danke schön. It gets worse. Great voice, very entertaining, and as soon as she starts giggling, you can't help joining in. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there we are. (laughs) Monty does a wonderful job with the Monty cast, a part of the show I'm always looking forward to because it provides often facts that I haven't known yet. So, all you tree huggers, environmentalists, and green people out there, subscribe to this great show. You won't regret it. Oh dear, I'm not sure what Heather's going to think about the listeners being called tree huggers. That's outrageous. <laughs> That's all right. That just that just reminds me to give Ricardo even more jib. <laughs> and we want to know which bit of the cow has the tube been up or down? <laughs> In she's got mastitis. What, oh, oh, no, What, what has happened is that she is a, a dry cow, so she hasn't got a calf on her. And usually the infection is transmitted by flies at this time of year. And effectively you get a bacterial infection in the quarter of her udder. And we have to strip it out, so all the muck and rubbish that's in there, and put an antibiotic tube in its place. How thick is the tube? Oh, very thin. What, like a needle size? Yeah. But it's not sharp. But it, that bit, that bit isn't the bit that hurts them. What hurts is actually getting the gunge out of the udder. That is extremely painful. That's because it's lumpy. Yeah, or it? like cream cheese. It's horrible, <laughs> and, and it stinks. Oh. So that's put everybody off. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Meanwhile, anyway, the good news is that the infection is limited to the udder, so sometimes you can have mastitis that affects the whole animal and will kill them. But this one is not as serious as that. This is the infection is. Just... How do you notice what's wrong with a cow? Well, it, either there's inflammation, or she might go lame because it's sore. You know, she can't walk properly, or if she's ill, that's usually fairly obvious. Sometimes there's a discharge, but in her case, I noticed it because the one quarter was swollen. But some people seem to notice that things are wrong with cattle and other people can pass them by without having a clue. But the ones who pass them by without having a clue usually have to deal with a lot of either dead cattle or cattle that are no good because obviously a cow with mastitis, if it's left untreated, means that it won't produce milk, certainly out of that quarter. And so a cow that doesn't produce milk is not a very useful cow. Do you go and check your cattle, right? I don't personally, but Mike, my husband, does look at them. Every day he'll go around and look at them. It actually is a a cross-compliance rule that you have to go and check your cattle every day. Oh, there we are then. But that's a good thing. Yeah, but anybody who doesn't check their cattle every day is asking for trouble because the day you don't go, disaster will strike Mm. because Murphy's Law says so. Yeah. And I can see it being one of those things that farmers don't like being told to do because it's common sense to do it. Absolutely. A just needs to be one that you catch fairly quickly, isn't it? The sooner you catch it, the more likely you are to cure it. And what's it caused by? All sorts of bugs, but usually they're bacteria, E. coli-type bacteria. 
Viral mastitises are the ones that are, will kill the cow. Awful mess. And sometimes the more serious bacterial ones, what we would call a summer mastitis, they are awful. They, but we've got beef cattle, though. Mm. So if you had that in a dairy cow, well, wouldn't dairy that cow- go off into the milk? Ah, no, because dairy cows are picked up much quicker because they will pick up the mastitis before it's even visible to the eye because you've heard of what's called a cell count oh, in yes. milk is a measure of things like mastitis and it is directly related to the cleanliness of the dairy and the storage facilities and all the rest of it. And that's why you'll see that low cell count herds are herds that are scrupulously clean and have very low incidences of mastitis. And if you have a cow that does show signs of mastitis, her milk is ditched. It doesn't go Mm. into the bulk. But also, a dairy farmer would be even more alert of it because he's bringing his cows in twice a day to be milked. But this idea of being scrupulously clean, you are the person that says to me, oh, a bit of dirt doesn't hurt you. And now I notice they come out with the fact that wooden chopping boards are actually more hygienic than plastic chopping boards with all those different colours you see in the restaurants because the wood sort of heals back up again. So... An organic dairy farmer perhaps wouldn't be that scrupulously clean, but probably wouldn't have a... Well, I think he would. What they would do, whether you're organic or conventional, you still clean the cow's udder before you put the milking machine on it, and you can still keep the parlour completely clean, and you can keep all your storage tanks clean. That's that's nothing to do with organic or non-organic. From my point of view as a beef farmer, the cleanest way of getting milk from cow to calf is for the calf to suckle the cow. The effect of that is that all the bugs are always outward going, so the milk flushes everything out. The calf can deal with it, that's not a problem. In a milking herd setup, you've got all this equipment that if you don't keep it clean, bugs will flourish. Now, this morning I've had my third email in of how to open an Opinel knife. So I've brought a number... Uh, eight... Opinel knife in for Rach to give a demonstration and then I'm going to get you our new stem vases in from just out in our hall where Michael's been photoing them like bilio and uh, we'll see what you think of them. So Rach, over to you for the Wiggly Wigglers demonstration on opening and closing an Opinel knife within 10 seconds. Okay. Well, this is a number seven, not a number eight, but that's neither here nor there because I'm sure the opening is exactly the same on all of them. But essentially, when your knife is closed and the blade is in the wooden part, the handle part of it, you have at the one end a metal piece that twirls around. And that no, is... No, the ten seconds is up. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, hey. Oh, no. Okay, <laughs> I'm only concerned. I've not regarded an Oppenel knife as a very complicated engineering problem. The issue with opening an Oppenel knife? I'm sorry, but this is important for our customer care. So it is I think, important. Here we go. Rachel carries, I think Rachel should carry on where I left off so she can get a bit more 10 seconds worth in. Okay. Uh, uh, just a minute, please. Here we go for stage two of the 10-second guide to opening the Wiggly Oppenel number seven knife. Okay, at one end of the knife, there's a metal part that swivels. If you turn it, it seems that it turns clockwise, it locks it. If you turn it anti-clockwise, it opens it. When it's turned fully anti-clockwise... Stop! (laughs) (laughs) Aww. Give. (laughs) Okay, it's over to the man for the... 
third part of the easy guide to the Wiggly Wiggler's opening and closing of the Oppenel Knife. Your ten seconds, Philip Gorringe, starts now. You rotate the metal bezel to the unlocked position, you grasp the wooden bit in one hand, the metal bit in the other, and you open the knife. Like so. The metal bezel then locks it open. I didn't use the word bezel, no. did I? What's no, a no, bezel? It's a bit no. stiff, that one. Uh, um, just to add more excitement to it, it's not a bezel, it's a ferrule. So here we go with the fourth part of the Wiggly Wiggler's easy guide to opening and closing your number seven Oppenel knife. Okay, with Oppenel knife in hand, and it's now twirled round to its locked position, you now have your art knife open ready for action. To close it, once again, twirl the ferrule around anti-clockwise, and then close the... (laughs) (laughs) It's easy. (laughs) It's easy, very easy, but I think the customer may find it a little bit stiff when you first have a brand new one. Obviously, if you maintain it very well with a nice little bit of very fine oil it Mm. opens and closes beautifully and you can clean it you can clean it with a matchstick as well because sometimes it gets a bit mucky in the bit the the hinge it's a knife bogey in it that's a problem that's not unknown does one oil it phil yeah you can put a drop of oil in it a fine Oil, oil oil will help the wood as well keeps the wood from going brittle very good i'm going to get the stem vases excuse me So here we are, here's a little sample of the stem vases with their rose in situ. English grown rose in a little bubble vintage vase. What do you think? I think they're lovely. Would you be pleased if a young man sent to you... (laughs) What? I was just thinking about a young man. A young man? (laughs) With you two looking like a pair of old crones in your... your (laughs) Bloody blanket there. Young man. Picture the scene, dear listener. Some of us are tough farmers and are sat here in our normal outfits, but Rachel and Rachel are wrapped up in two Welsh blankets. As much as I love Heather's beautiful house, it is cold. It is cold in her living room. It is September and we need blankets on us. Michael's put his vest on today. I don't know, when, when is this going to work, this stick that you give Farmer Phil? When is he going to heat the room? I don't know. No. Don't take any notice at all. He loves us being in these rickety window No, I think it's house. my carbon footprint. It's better to live in a cooler, fresher environment. <laughs> it's better for germs, isn't it? I mean, it's better, better for, for not getting germs. Better for everything. For what? You still get a cold, even if no. you... When have you last seen me with a cold? I get one because I'm so cold. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, these vases, I reckon they look marvellous, but I'm sorry to say they are not fly swatter compatible. Have you been swatting flies with them? No, I haven't, but it seems to me that them and a fly swat is probably not a good combination. Oh, I thought you were going to use those to swat the flies. No. Why would you want to swat a fly in the vicinity of a beautiful stemmed vase well if there was a fly there I've seen Heather with her fly swat and I'm just saying that that combination wouldn't work this is ridiculous <laughs> getting back to my point picture the scene Rachel's at home a young man sends a wiggly stem vase with a rose 
That would be lovely, wouldn't oh, it? I that would be lovely. so nice. Don't you? Yours not going to get one. No, I'm not going to get one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Can we invite any young men listeners yes. to send me a rose then? Yes, anyone yes. like that. Um, go to the website and see if you can't find a picture of Rachel. I don't think she's there, but we could... Um, yes, let me see. Go to Rach... There and then imagine somebody me. younger with dark oh, hair, oh, thinner. Oh, 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 me on the e news, isn't there? Oh, with yes. my sunflower stalks. That's right, of course fact, there is. I'm the English rose. Of course she is. Rose. Rose. She is the English yes, rose. Yes, of course she is. Yeah. Yeah. Of course she is. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Also, Rachel does come from Ross, which isn't, you know, it's not an easy thing to live with, I would imagine. Didn't you come from Ross, Phil? No. I did live there, but I don't come from there. Well, what does come from mean? Because I wasn't born there. No, well, you live there now. It's like I don't live there now, I live in Hereford. Moving on. (laughs) Look at my dried herbs. This book, I love this book, How to Store Your Garden Produce by Piers Warren. So I've been out and I've got my herbs and it said you either put them in the oven Mm. or you hung them up in front of the fire. So a week ago we had a fire... Which is strange thing, having the fire when farmer fills out combining, but of course I can have them in secret. <laughs> <laughs> what you mean he know, doesn't know that you're burning his valued wood no, and that you no. have to go and get oh, hey. and the thing is he doesn't come in till one o'clock so by the time he's come in I've put it out and covered all traces of possible fires and he says gosh your herbs are drying well I'm there in the house and I say yes Phil they are anyway aren't they great so can you dry them how can you dry them I don't want to put them in the oven because then you have to turn the oven on oh unless you cook something in the oven already yeah, yeah, you see, the thing is, it only takes about an hour in the oven, so if you'd cooked something mm. and then it was cooling down, you could put them in there. But I think they look great they do. when you hang them up. And you don't have to have an oven at all. Anyone with central heating... I was going to say, it's only a question of how long it takes, isn't it? If you hang it yeah. up in, inside the house, they'll dry just the same, won't they? I don't think they would in here, Phil. I think they probably yeah. just have icicles on the bottom of them. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, it says here you can di- freeze them. <laughs> look, rather than dry them look, Nesh. the water in Nesh the stemmed is the word vase that comes to mind the, the water in the stemmed vase is starting to go solid <laughs> <laughs> come and smell these herbs what do you think um, is it not better to hang them and let them dry over several days rather than do it in the oven fast no I think there's a reason for drying them quickly because if you let things dry slower they're more likely to rot you see whereas if you dry them quickly then it drives out all of the moisture and i think you could preserve more of the flavor and the color and the nutrients now listen here my dears enzymes bacteria yeast and fungi all require moisture so drying food is effective at preventing the action of all of them well dried produce has a long storage life and often an intensified flavor so this technique is often used to create desired ingredients such as dried mushrooms, chilies, tomatoes or goodies to be eaten direct such as dried apple rings. For the choice of whether to dry, freeze or use uh, some other technique will depend on your future use for the produce. Beans, peas and sweet corns used to be dried every autumn by many country families for winter use but a pea freshly cooked from the freezer will be more flavoursome and more tender and will contain more vitamins. On the other hand, dry produce weighs less and so is popular with backpackers. Anyway. Right, I want to know how you're going to sort these. Are you going to put them through the mint herb cutter and have a pot of mixed herbs 
or are you going to put them through the herb cutter individually and have a pot of each one? Well, I don't think they're quite ready yet because it says in the instructions that you have to be able to crumble them. Oh, so I think they just need a little bit extra time. And then I'm going to put them on this piece of newspaper here, hammer them a bit. <laughs> and then I've got these gorgeous, somebody gave me some second-hand terracotta herb pots. So I thought I'd put different ones in rather than what it said because I haven't got the right ones. Oh no! And then, then it would be a surprise. I feel, <laughs> I feel that in the midst of winter, when you go to get them, we'll have remember what is in each pot. Mm-hmm. So what? Yeah. Of, did I see you had some lovage drying up there, or was it some parsley last week? I've got parsley. It says not to try and dry fennel, but I've tried it mm. to see what would happen. I've got oregano. I've got sage. I've got lemon balm. Is this lemon balm? I think this is lemon balm. Rosemary. Oh yeah. Yep. I've got parsley. What else have I got? I think that's it. So mm. I thought I'd make some mixed herbs and then also lemon balm because I'll need this in the winter for pims. Have you got any time? Did you die any time? Yes, I've got time. Where's my oh, time? Somewhere. Time. Yeah. Do you so know, does that book tell you what the difference between oregano and marjoram is? Do you that, know the difference? No, it's a question. Maybe that's a question for the listener. If anybody knows what the difference between oregano and marjoram is, I'd be very interested. I wouldn't. <laughs> Does it matter? Head's going to put it on the food anyway. I was going to say it won't matter because by the time she's put sage in the marjoram jar, sage yeah. will become marjoram. Yeah. Anyway, so. Absolutely. Don't you think that's a handy wiggly hint, though? If you've got some jars that say something, put something else in, then it's a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Any good right? No, no, because you might put the salt uh, in the sugar pot on the beef. Is that bad? Isn't rosemary meant to go on lamb? Oh, yes. yes. You might put you might put lemon balm in your sage and onion stuffing. Yeah. But wouldn't that be interesting? Onwards, <laughs> darlings. A quick shout out for the Terry Walton do. Rachel, please tell us all the details as the PR stuntman okay. for the Stunt- Terry Walton do. Yes. Well, when is it? It's the tenth of October, which is a Friday night, so it'll be great fun for Friday night at Preston on Y Village Hall, which is in the deeper depths of West Herefordshire, not far from Wiggly Wigglers. It starts at 7.30 and there'll be a light supper, which is being arranged by Heather. So I'm not quite sure what we're having. Cheese. Cheese. Excellent. We're having cheese. Excellent. I love cheese. And how? <laughs> <laughs> uh, cheese eggs. is rotten milk. Um, I shan't be having any of that. We're Don't having, like cheese? We're like having cheese? Um, fillet steak. That's more right. like it. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And maybe there'll be some of Heather's dried herbs there. Yes, in a surprise jar. <laughs> but let's hope she doesn't put them in the mould cider. <laughs> Actually, this will go in the mould cider, I think. Ah. Anyway, so Terry Walton talking to Richard Fishbourne, no doubt giving each other a hard time on whether to be organic or not organic and general gardening fun. And tickets are £10 and available from Wiggly Wigglers. And I hope you come. And they'll be singing Mifanwi. Da, 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 Mifanwi. What, Fishbourne singing? I don't know. No, Terry sings. He's I've heard Terry sing. sing on his podcast, actually. Excellent. It's quite funny. It does not like Welsh male voice choir singing. He sings sort of little ditties about the allotment. Oh, like Lavender's Blue, Dilly Dally. <laughs> Please, no. Oh. Um, oh. Now then, Farmer Phil, um, what is the news with the harvest, please, before we tell you the Wiggly Wigglers moment of glory in Berlin? Dun, dun, dun. 
progress has been very good over the last week. We've covered a lot of ground. The quality of some of the crops has deteriorated somewhat, but I suspect that that will be made up for by some pretty good yields that we've been achieving. What's the record yield? Uh, we're getting close to five tonne an acre in places. Five um, tonne an acre? In one field, That's my yield meter... That's 500 quidders. My yield meter genuinely got to six tonne an acre for about ten yards. Ooh. So I was quite pleased about that because it doesn't do that very often. And yesterday, the specialist pea header that we have mentioned before that Philip Watkins is going to bring to help us harvest the peas arrived. So we're going to play with that later on today. And it's he has brought a combine with it, Yeah, he, he has brought a combine right. with it. Right. But it's a, a very clever thing because instead of... We would try to lift the peas and cut them off and combine them. This doesn't cut them at all. It hooks them and picks them up with a series of hooks. So it doesn't cut anything and it relies on them breaking off at the ground. So it'll be interesting, but it's, it's a header designed specifically for combining peas. Could you take our listener out in your pocket to the Brummy Brummy and bring us back a report of the hanging up pea vines? I certainly could if I'm here. Excellent. Um, before we go on to Berlin, Rachel, tell us about kohlrabi. Kohlrabi is a vegetable that I've only eaten once. I've always wondered what you did with it. It's a bit like one of those ones, like, what's that other one? Salsify and saucinera? Well, I'm really not quite sure what they are. Anyway, I bought one about a month ago and was told it was like cabbage. Cook it like cabbage. So it says I- that here in Piers Warren's book. Treat it like cabbage. Yes, it looks like a turnip with kind of like shoots coming out the top. It looks very strange. Anyway, so when I was told to treat it like cabbage, I thought that when I peeled it, it would be leafy, you know, and you'd be able to shred it, and it wasn't. It was solid like a, like a turnip. <laughs> so I chopped it very finely and cooked it as I would cook cabbage, and it was quite nice, actually. Nutty tasting. Hmm, yes, perhaps. Not. I did put... Yes, perhaps. Anyway, if you've got any kohlrabi growing in your garden, I have. I was looking it up too, and it says trim, peel, and chop the chunks before blanching it for two minutes, and then you can freeze it if you want to, if you want to keep it. Mm. They look a bit can... like a space alien's head, don't they? Yeah, definitely. They're quite. They are. Because they've got like antenna on them. Oh, you mean like ET? Yeah, sort of. Very a bit-ish. good. Ish. Do you want to ask us about Berlin then? Go on, tell us about... Why did you go to Berlin? What were you doing in Berlin? Really, you want to know? Yeah, I really want to know. <laughs> we have had the most fantastic two days in Berlin, haven't we? We have. We won the Small Business Using Technology Award, so it's kind of for this podcast, really. That's what they liked, and they liked our Facebook group. Michael said it's all down to him. Nothing to do with him. He just presses the buttons. We're the geniuses. He's cutting that out. We've gone now. Bye. <laughs> I think anyway. it's all down to me, but I wasn't invited to go to Berlin. <laughs> well, there was three places and there's three girlies, so yeah, that was it, really. Sorry, Farm Phil. Yeah. We okay. stayed at Hotel Adlon, which I think is possibly the poshest hotel in the world. It used to be in no man's land because the wall and the Brandenburg Gate is right by it. But it was a corker. It was the best hotel I've ever stayed in. It had history, it had modern, it had beer. <laughs> it had um, It had forty-three pages of drinks, starting with Moe. And on page forty-one was beer. 
So it took us ages to choose. <laughs> anyway, the important thing is we got to meet Michael Dell, who is the head of Dell Corporation, who produce computers. As our dear listener will know, we are Apple addicts. I'm not. PCs are absolutely adequate. And um, meeting Michael Dell was an absolute treat for a PC user, of course. But I would have loved to have spent more time with him. But, you know, he's a busy guy, so he, he sort of stayed with us for about half an hour, didn't he? Yeah. And we were able to ask questions. And then um, we had a best practice day. Yes. Where the ICSB, the... International Council for Small Businesses. Gave us all best practice from the other companies who seem to be geniuses in technology. So there we are. What a lovely trip. And now we have a load of computer money in our account from Dell. Thank you very much, Dell. And uh, so we'll see what we'll do with it. Yeah, that'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well done. Very good. Just before we go, I know you're still obsessed with sunflowers, Rachel. So you've just got a moment to quiz Farmer Phil once again. Oh, she's jumping up and down with glee. Or is that coldness? (laughs) (laughs) To ask Farmer Phil a couple of last questions on Helios What Up Was Oh, yes. Uh, Can we eat them? Can we eat our sunflowers? I believe we can, yeah. I, I don't see any, any reason why not. Because I read, I've read, I think on a DEFRA website, that every crop and vegetable that's capable of being grown in the UK is actually grown in Herefordshire. They're right. Yep, that's right. Didn't know that. That's amazing, isn't it? Every crop that's capable of being grown in the UK is grown in Herefordshire. You <laughs> find me some <laughs> onions. <laughs> Are there onions, onions growing in here? For sure, there were. Brindley used to grow onions. Did he? Yeah. Oh. So I'll find the quote. I'll find the quote. Okay. Yeah. It but, wouldn't surprise me. Herefordshire is capable of growing pretty but much. But just a minute. How am I going to eat a sunflower? You, you mean the seed, don't you? Yeah. Not the. Yeah. I'm so just imagining frying up a flower so, <laughs> head and chewing through that stalk. Your okay, muesli is quite s- likely to have some sunflower seeds in it. Yeah, okay, well, I know you we let can the eat sunflower, sunflower head dry out. Or I don't know, that's what I don't know. Oh. Because I buy, I love sunflower seeds. I buy loads of sunflower seeds being a tree-hugging hu- hippie. <laughs> and I was just wondering why we can't eat Farmer Phil's sunflower seeds. I think we can, if you know how to eat them. Uh, there's, no, there's nothing I've done to them that will make them so you can't eat them. Because essentially they've had no chemicals put on them because they don't need any. So that I haven't got any issues with eating them. Any other questions about sunflowers, Rachel, before oh, yes, we end yeah. the show? But... I also read that you can use, once you've taken the seeds out, you can use the husks as a cattle feed. And I was wondering if you did that. We don't do that because by the time we combine them, they're pretty tired looking. Broom handles. Broom handles. They're all furry and horrible. Mm. And we don't get enough of a swath behind the combine really to consider baling them, which is what we'd have to do. What's a swath? The row of remnants that comes out the back of the combine like straw does in a row. Ah, A swath is a row. Not a swathe? Not a swathe. That's different. Well, you would cut a swathe with an E on the end, but you create a swath with what you've cut. Oh, and on that note, (laughs) dear listener, we leave you to cut your swathe and produce your swath on the lawn. (laughs) (laughs) Till next week, it's bye from me. And bye from me. Bye from me. And bye from me. Wiggle on. (laughs) 